Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome, friends, to Crime Will Tell. I'm Carrie. And I'm Jamie. And today's case is extraordinarily sad. Mm-hmm. You've got your Crime Will Tell Tumblr with yes, ma'am. beautiful elixir inside. Yes. yes. Tasty, tasty bourbon. Yes. This this episode is one that like it really showcases how feelings of like when people become fearful and desperate, it can drive them to make a decision that is so horrific and in a blink permanently affects the lives of so many people like that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And what's really, I mean, all of our cases are extraordinarily sad. I mean, we're a true crime podcast, but the victim in this case, his name is Dwight. He was just a lovely human. Like from for all from all accounts, he was just an extraordinarily lovely and loving human. But when an asshole gets murdered, you're kind of like, well, I don't condone murder. I know you don't either, James, but murder's not the answer. But you kind of feel a little less when an asshole, you're like, well, he was kind of an asshole. It's a damn shame he got murdered, but he was kind of a fucking asshole. <laughs> right. But when when there's like like why do good things why do bad things happen to good people kind of thing like that's this case like he was just a really nice mm-hmm. guy. This reminds me of the the Dave Reese that was killed by his wife Lois in one of the mm-hmm. previous cases. It was just like he was this huge teddy bear that everybody adored, and it just was like ah yeah why him that ripple effect. There were so many people that that left a hole you know, a hole that they'll have for the rest of their lives because he had touched so many people and had such great relationships with so many people. And that's kind of what is the case here with with Dwight, mm-hmm. our, okay. our victim. So we're going to start in July of 2010. Okay. And it's in July of 2010 when the trouble, the nagging doubt that was troubling Jennifer Carmichael, who was Dwight's daughter, it finally got to the point where she was like, this has been nagging at me long enough and I can't take it anymore. And so she contacted the Scottsdale police department and she did this to report her father, 57 year old Dwight Tobine missing. Okay. The last time she had seen her dad was months prior. So she had last seen him just before the Thanksgiving holiday in November of 2009. So eight months before. Oh, shit. So that was the last time she had laid eyes on her dad. And even though she had received a few texts and emails since then from her dad, and even though her mom, Sherry, Dwight's wife, reassured her that her dad was fine, he was alive and well in Mexico. Okay. The fact that he had missed the 2009 Christmas holiday and the birth of her second child in May 2010 greatly concerned her. To the point where she was like, okay, I can't take this anymore. My gut, my instinct is telling me something is terribly, terribly wrong. And so that's when in July of 2010, she contacted the Scottsdale Police Department and reported her father missing. Okay. Yeah. Eight months is a long time. Like how often did they speak prior to this? Like was it- All the time. Oh, shit. All the time. So- Yes. We're to the point, I mean, they had a, Dwight had a great relationship with all of his children. Okay. He was very loving. And so for Jennifer to go even like a week or two without talking to her dad was, ugh. but we're going to, we're right. going to get into why eight months had gone by. Okay. All right. So let's, let's take a, just a, just a tiny trip back and let's talk about Dwight and Sherry. Okay. So they grew up near each other in Clay Center, Kansas. So very small town, right in the center of the United States. I don't know if Kansas is smack in the center, but in the plains, you know, it's 
very small town, very rural. Dwight Nolan Tobine, born May 8th, 1953, was three years older than Sherry. So in high school, at least, they, they overlapped by a year, but he was three years older than Sherry, who was born Sherry Lee Gurton on July 24th, 1956. And they had both graduated from the same high school, Clifton High School in Clyde, Kansas. Sherry, she went on to attend Cloud County Community Junior College at Concordia for a little bit before she actually went and and got a job as a secretary. Dwight, he had attended the University of Oklahoma at Norman before transferring to Kansas State University at Manhattan. I assume Norman at Manhattan at Concordia. These are all like campus locations. And it was at the Kansas State University at Manhattan where, as a student, he and Sherry got married. So he was still in college, and they got married on August 16th, 1975. And Dwight ultimately went on to obtain a a master's, master of science, master's of science degree in animal science. And so he was in sort of like that farm, I want to say farmology, but I know that's not right, but in my head it seems (laughs) right. But he was into sort of like the the farm and animal science side of things. And for more than three decades, Dwight and Sherry, they had what appeared to be a solid and loving marriage. Very, you know, your typical ups and downs, highs and lows. And they raised three children and then they were married for decades. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they had known each other their whole lives. So it's not like this is this is one of those cases where it's like, do you really, truly ever know someone? Right. Do you? Kind of a, a foreshadow hint, Ooh. if you will. Okay, so July 2010, Jennifer reports her dad Dwight missing. To throw a monkey wrench into the situation and kind of getting after why eight months had gone by before she actually did report him missing. Yes. Dwight had started a loan brokerage business some years back. And despite valiant efforts, that business eventually it collapsed. It collapsed in 2008. Okay. About a year or so before the last time Jennifer had seen her dad right before the Thanksgiving 2009 holiday. Okay. And since then he and Sherry were in serious financial trouble. Obviously if your business collapses, if that's what you were using to pay bills, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. They had serious mounting debt as a result of this. And to top it off, which is probably a a big reason why his business ultimately went under. Dwight was being investigated by the FBI. He was being investigated for alleged fraud in his business. Oh, shit. Okay. He was being accused of embezzling around 750,000 big ones from clients. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And so, like, you know, as he's building this loan brokerage business... They're living the good life. Dwight and Sherry, they lived in a beautiful 5,000 square foot home in an upscale golf course community. And they had like all the perks and privileges of being, you know, successful business owners. Well, as all of this started to happen and the business crashed and burned in this FBI investigation, they were up to their eyeballs in debt. And after selling their home and most of their belongings, they still hadn't raised enough cash to pay off all of their debts, let alone pay for the legal representation to fight the fraud charges and all of that. So they were in a very precarious financial situation. And and so I said, they sold their their very large, beautiful home and they ended up renting a condo. Damn. So everything's just kind of crumbling. Everything's kind of crumbling. Ugh. By this time, so we're talking in 2008, business crumbles. Dwight and Sherry's marriage was taking a big hit. This is a lot of stress and strain to be under. And with all of that financial trouble, fraud investigation, their 35-year marriage, it was super shaky. Mm -hmm. By November of 2009, the last time Jennifer saw her dad, Dwight was thinking and starting to verbalize, "Eh, I think it's best if I just lay low for a while. Maybe just get out of town. He started talking about taking off, going somewhere to get away, keep a low profile, let the fraud investigation work itself through and just basically go into hiding. That's kind of what he was thinking. He was like, I should just, I should just leave. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. It's like showing guilt and just trying to (laughs) run away from it or 
just like it's too fucking much i just need to get away i think there's actually so so when i was researching this case i i got the impression of a couple of different things and one was i the pressure was definitely seemed like it was getting to to dwight again i'm inferring from all the research in the newspaper articles and things like that i'm inferring this but getting away and like just removing himself from from the, just the, the crazy intense pressure started, I think, to seem really enticing to Dwight. But there were other things going on here. And a big one was that reported in several sources was that Dwight was planning to initiate or he had actually initiated, there's conflicting source material on this, divorce proceedings from Sherry. Oh, wow. Okay. Either to protect her, protect himself, do or or because... The, the marriage had crumbled or maybe a bit of all of it. But either way, some sources said he had initiated and some said he was planning to initiate. And so I think that was another reason why he was eager to get away was because also to separate from Sherry. Gotcha. Okay. Either way, it was very clear that Dwight was planning to take off, go somewhere, lay low, separate from Sherry. Okay. And Jennifer, by all accounts, was supportive of her dad leaving getting some space, calm the emotions, get a hold of the stress levels, et cetera. Like maybe it is good if you just kind of go somewhere and lay low for a while. Yeah. And she told him, she's like, hey, listen, dad, I will help with mom. Mom's going to be fine. I'll help with her. It'll be fine while you're gone. And during all of this sort of like verbalization of, of Dwight leaving, it was Jennifer's understanding that this separation was to be temporary. Oh, okay. And a couple of days before Thanksgiving 2009, he shared with Jennifer that he had made plans to take off for a while. like, okay, I've decided I am going to leave. And sources indicated that he had rented a U-Haul and had loaded up some stuff and was planning to move to Oklahoma, where his brother lived, to stay with him for a while. But I'm not sure if this plan was ever validated. And the reason why is because... That never happened. He never went to Oklahoma. He never stayed with his brother. Was there it was there any indication that his brother was looking for him? Like, Mm-mm. dude, what the fuck? Okay. Nope. I don't know if it was because he wasn't or if it was because that just wasn't a focus part of the case. Right, right. And yeah. I don't think it had to be because either way, this was the last time Jennifer saw her dad, Dwight. Okay. Now, after this time, after the Thanksgiving holiday of 2009, she did receive a couple text messages from her dad sometime in during the month of December. And these text messages were like, hey, Jennifer, I'm doing well. I don't know exactly what the text messages said, but they were messages of I'm doing well. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. Okay. It was also in December of 2009 when Sherry, Jennifer's mom, showed up at her house and said, hey, can I stay with you? So remember I said that Sherry and Dwight had sold their home and most of their possessions to try and like pay off their mounting debt and they started renting a condo. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, um, which wasn't actually clear in my research, I wasn't able to get a clear reason why Sherry was basically like, I can't stay at the condo anymore. um, And so I have nowhere to go. Can I stay with you? And Jennifer's like, well, Yes, of course. Yes, please stay with me, mom. I'll do whatever I can to support you. Yeah. And so Sherry moved in with Jennifer. Okay. But in Dwight's absence, as Sherry was staying with Jennifer, it was clear that she was, Sherry was falling into, like she had fallen into a depressive cycle. Understandably so. Like if you think about it. Oh, shit. Her whole world is crumbled. Like turned upside down. Yeah. And her husband's gone. Yeah. And what are the two biggest reasons why people divorce finances and infidelity exactly and they've got crazy financial stuff going like way more than the average not i don't want to say average paycheck to paycheck but way more than the stressors of living paycheck to paycheck and trying to figure out do i pay my rent this month or do i put food on the table for my children right this month? right they've yeah. got like this fbi investigate i mean there's a lot there's legal shit going on here too Yeah. And so she fell into a depressive cycle. And when she was living with Jennifer, she started to become regularly argumentative with Jennifer. 
like to the point where she was just picking fights and jennifer's like dude i'm letting you live here like why are you coming into my house i mean i know you're my mom and i love you and all but don't come into my house and then start picking fights and being a total you know like a general asshole you're fucking blast mom thanks for yeah coming thanks for showing up can't wait So after a few weeks of living together and after, so this was after the Christmas holiday of 2009. And after that came and went with no word from Dwight, the stress and strain between Sherry and Jennifer kind of hit a a crescendo and the relationship couldn't withstand it. And Sherry ended up moving out of Jennifer's home under very tense circumstances. And after that, Jennifer didn't talk to her mom. Oh shit. Didn't really know where she went, but Sherry left they didn't leave on good terms and Jennifer hadn't talked to her mom after that. Wow. And she's pregnant at this time, correct? She's pregnant at this time. So yeah, she probably doesn't into want the She's like, look, I don't need this stress. I don't need this <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And so then a handful of months go by. I still no word from her dad. And when Jennifer's son was born in May, 2010 and Dwight never showed up to the birth because Jennifer was still sending him texts and emails, but she wasn't getting any responses back at this point. She started to become legitimately concerned. She was like, what the fuck is going on? My gut is telling me there's something really, really wrong here. And that nagging feeling that had been building had finally caused her to report her father missing in July of 2010. Okay, good, good. So Dwight's case was assigned to two detectives, detectives Paxson and Lockerbie. Is that, is that a tax, a tax company? A tax company. It sounded to me like a funeral home. Oh, it does. <laughs> Paxson and Lockerbie. And as they started investigating, a tip came in about a truck that had been parked in the parking lot of an apartment complex. And this truck turned out to be Dwight's. Oh, shit. Okay. So this turned out to be Dwight's truck. And of course, Paxson and Lockerbie are like, oh, hey <laughs> let me just skip on down here and see what the fuck this is all about. Yeah. And it was sitting in a parking lot of a Phoenix apartment building about seven miles from where Dwight and Sherry's old 5,000 square foot beautiful house had been. Oh, fuck. Okay. So we're, we're talking about the Phoenix area of Arizona. Right. It was clear that Dwight's truck had been sitting there for quite a while. It had like, do you know how like when a, when a car or truck has been sitting in one spot and hasn't been moved, it gets that layer of like filmy, dusty, grody, grimy yeah. stuff on it. And it's obvious that it like, it hasn't been moved and yeah, you can like draw dicks in it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And in the, in the bed of the truck, so it was a pickup truck and in the bed of the truck, there were leaf debris and pine needles that had fallen throughout the fall season. So mind you. She had, um, she being Jennifer, had reported her dad missing July of 2010. Yeah. Paxson and Lockerbie get assigned the case. They start investigating it. That's still late summer. Like, leaves aren't falling yet. So they knew that that had been from the previous fall season and that it clearly had been there for months. Wow. Okay, so they're like looking at it. It had been defaced with black spray paint. So hoodlums had come around and they had written something that ended up not really even being part of the case. The case being like the case that they're they're investigating Dwight. It had nothing, had right. no, it, no connection to Dwight or anything. It was just vandalism. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. And so it was black uh, spray paint that they had written, you know, something on there. And cool. And the driver's side window was rolled down about an inch. And when Detective Paxson looked inside, she could clearly see what ended up being the keys to the truck laying what? on the driver's side floor mat. Yeah, so How the and, fuck and the was doors that were, thing not stolen. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like and the <laughs> doors weren't locked, so she could literally just open up the door. And that's what they did. They opened up the door and they picked up the keys and and I'll tell you in a minute why they knew that the keys were the trucks. I mean when they put the keys in the ignition and they fit they're like oh fuck these are the actual keys to the truck right so paxton and lockerby were like maybe he rented an apartment here maybe that's where he went because at this point they're like we're investigating a missing person missing person we don't know if he's alive or dead so maybe he's living here and so they checked in with the property manager and they're like hey we're looking for this guy his name is dwight tobine this is his truck and she did a bunch of digging into the files and she confirmed nope there's no dwight on any rental agreement that I have or 
as part of another rental agreement that I have or on any other records or paperwork to indicate that he had rented apartment there or that he was somehow some way connected to somebody that was renting an apartment there. So there was like hmm. no paperwork with that name and there was no paperwork with the truck. So the trucks, you know, tags, the registry, nothing. There was no connection whatsoever. Right. And it obviously had not been used. Like it had been sitting there for fucking ever. Yep. And the property manager also confirmed, yep, it hasn't moved. I, I'm the property manager. I'm here all the time, every day almost. And that truck has been here for many, many months. Wow. So as the detectives were processing the truck, they noticed that the position of the driver's seat didn't seem right because it was pulled up really close to the steering wheel. And Ooh. they found this positioning very odd because they knew Dwight was a big boy. Oh, He was okay. a tall, big man. And so they were like, there's no way he fit into the truck with the, the seat positions this way. Yeah. There's no way he was the last person to drive this truck and park it here in this spot. And when investigators realized that the keys that they found on the floor mat belonged to the truck, they actually put the keys in the ignition and they turned the truck on and they were met with a very big surprise because the stereo was blasting hip hop music <laughs> from like the last radio station it had been tuned to. And they're like, this does not line up with the, this guy that we know. This is so weird. Yeah, so like weird. he didn't drive with the steering wheel in his chest, listening to hip hop, like music. a granny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Mm -hmm. So the abandoned truck, along with learning that Dwight was under a federal fraud investigation, had m very serious mounting financial troubles and debt, made Paxson and Lockerbie pretty damn concerned about his welfare. They're like, right, yeah. we need to get an alive and well sighting on this guy. And what was curious though was that Jennifer. Dwight's daughter. She mm -hmm. has two siblings, a brother and a sister. Okay. They had repeatedly been leaving voice messages and emails for her, their father. Okay. And so all three were reaching out. All three were reaching out. Okay. Over this, these past eight months since they had seen him. And never did they get a, this voice message box is full. Or this email account is no longer accepting emails or whatever. So clearly someone... Dwight maybe was checking the messages. Right. He just was never calling back. He was never texting huh. back. He was never emailing back after like December, 2009. They didn't hear from him. Wow. Okay. So in, in this time was Sherry saying that she was speaking to him and that like all was like, she was telling her kids that all was well. Yeah. We're going to get into that, but oh, basically okay. sorry, she sorry. wasn't, she wasn't directly speaking with him. But she was saying, look, the plan was that dad was going to go to Mexico. I know that's where he went. I, he's just laying low. I'm sure he's alive and well. I'm sure everything is fine. Okay. Detective Paxson, she reached out to Dwight's son. She wanted to get his take on the situation. Because now at this point, they're just investigating. They're going to pull on every thread that they can. Oh, for sure. And But his son wasn't, he wasn't very concerned. He was like, look. I received an email from dad letting me know that he was doing well. He had started his life over. Mm. But when Paxson shared the information about his dad's truck, she's like, look, we found your dad's truck. It's not with your dad. We can't find your dad. And that truck, that truck hasn't been moved since last year. Shit. So that truck's been in the same spot for like eight months. And the son thought that was odd. He's like, why would my dad go somewhere without transportation? Yeah. And then, as, you know, that's just like the one piece that can kind of start to make the other pieces fall into place of like, this is all just really fucking weird. Yeah. And now maybe there's something going on here that that we should be alarmed about. Right. Yeah, it would be one thing if his truck was found at an airport parking lot or, you know, something yeah. like that. But in a random fucking apartment complex with no ties to him. Yeah. Seven flag. miles away from where they used to live. Sums up. Yeah. With the driver's seat in the weird position and the keys left there and hip hop music blare. It's just, it's not adding up. It's a bunch of clues for the, for Paxson and Lockerbie, but it's not adding up. Right. Meanwhile, remember Sherry was living with Jennifer. They got into it. Jennifer, I don't know that Jennifer actually kicked her mom out. I think it was just like, it's time Sherry left. 
And Jennifer didn't know where she went. She hadn't talked to her. She didn't know where she went. Well, Paxson and Lockerbie eventually located Sherry. Okay. So she was renting a room in a house in the Phoenix area. So she hadn't gone far. She was still in the same city. She hadn't gone far. And they were super eager to interview her and get her side of the story to see if they could glean any information from her that could lead them to Dwight. Because at the end of the day, they just wanted to conclusively prove that Dwight was alive and well. And up till now, they hadn't been able to do that. And they found his truck under suspicious circumstances. And frankly, they were suspicious that he was truly well, given the amount of time that had gone by when no one talked to him. Right. Yeah. And during the interview with (sighs) Sherry... She told the detectives that the last time she saw her husband was the day before Thanksgiving 2009. She told detectives that he had told her that they needed to split up, he needed to lay low, and that he was planning to go to Mexico. And during the interview, Sherry was tearful. She was tearful, clearly upset, and had verbalized that she was worried about Dwight and said she really wanted to know where her husband was. Just out of curiosity, is there any tie to Mexico? Like, was there anyone there he was going to... Because I know their finances were kind of fucked. Was there anyone he was planning on staying with? Or was that just kind of where he was planning to go to escape? If there were any ties to Mexico, none of that was indicated in any source material. Okay. My gut was, if you go over the border, you, you escape the FBI's arm, basically. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or you have a better chance of, of eluding capture for a while. For sure. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So shortly after their interview with Sherry, Detective Paxson was able to get into Dwight's email account. So she's like, all right. So she's flexing her muscles going, okay. <laughs> she could see that some of the emails had been opened or read. You know how like I, lots of us use Gmail, right? Like when you go to Gmail, either it's bolded or it's not. It's right. either been opened and or read or it hasn't been right. so she she could see and while she wasn't sure if Dwight was the one doing it or not she wasn't sure what this meant but she could see that some of the emails that had been delivered to the inbox recently had been opened or read wow okay so she's like something is definitely off here and if he was alive and well based on the activity in his email account and the fact that his voicemail box never got full, why weren't they able to find him? Yeah. Because I'm sure they were talking to people like, oh, he went to Mexico. Okay, let's pull on that a little bit and see what we can find. Oh, maybe he's over here. Maybe he went to his brothers in Oklahoma. Let me pull on that. I mean, they're, right. they're investigating. Yeah. They're not able to find any sniffer sense of him. Wow. So Detective Paxson started reading through the emails sent by the different family members. And as she's reading through, she's noticing that all the emails that were sent to Dwight from Sherry were very kind, sweet, compassionate, understanding, sensitive. And she's like, how come I'm not finding that one email where Sherry finally loses her damn shit on Dwight for leaving her behind? Yeah, to where the fuck through- are you? Yeah, to wade through all this crap alone. Like, why didn't she find the email that was like, What in the actual fuck, Dwight? You just up and leave me? We've been married for 35 years. What the hell? Your kids are worried. I'm worried. What the hell? Yeah, I'm living with our daughter. I have nowhere to go. Yeah, You have a grandson now? Like what? Big triggers. Well, Paxson didn't find that email because that email did not exist. Ah, And she was like, well, that's odd because I would expect a quote unquote normal response from a wife and mother would be, to eventually lose your damn mind over this. And that's when Paxson was like, okay, my gut is telling me that Sherry knows more than she's letting on. So with that gut feeling, investigators started a 24-7 surveillance on Sherry. Oh, shit. And one night during their surveillance, they saw Sherry leave the house of the house that she was renting her room in, and she put a dark trash bag in the trunk of her car. And then she got into her car, and she drove to a shopping center 50 miles from the house that she was renting the room in. Five zero? Five zero. Five, okay. She parked. Fuck. Got out, opened the trunk, grabbed the dark trash bag, and threw it into the dumpster that was behind the shopping center. Oh, and not she shady. Just, 
Nope, not shady at all. And then she got back into her car and she drove away. And after she left, the surveillance team was like, whoa, (laughs) okay, let's go ahead and recover that bag from the dumpster, which they did. And when they looked inside, they found that the bag contained some items of clothing, but wrapped in that clothing was a disassembled nine millimeter handgun. Oh, fuck. Okay. Sherry. The surveillance team is like, ooh, look what we got. Merry Christmas to us. <laughs> so now Paxson and Lockerbie have a person that the family hasn't directly talked to in about nine months by then. And that person's wife is dumping a gun in the middle of the night a long distance from where she lives. Yeah. So they had the gun processed for forensic evidence, but unfortunately they hit a brick wall. They couldn't recover anything of evidentiary value from the gun. No fingerprints, no, it was wiped clean. Nothing. Yeah. Okay. So they decided to bring Sherry in for more questioning. And that's when they confronted her with their surveillance efforts and the recovered gun. They're like, hey, so we've been kind of watching you and we happen to notice that you drove an extraordinarily long way to dump a trash bag in a shopping center dumpster. And uh, so we found your gun. Yeah, you didn't even go into Marshall's dipshit. That dumpster is your favorite spot, eh? You could have tried harder. Yeah. Fuck. Sherry told the defect told the defectives. <laughs> Sherry told the detectives, look, I recognize this is bad, but listen, the only reason why I had the gun was because I had become so distraught after Dwight left, I was going to take my own life. Okay. But when she started talking to them about the situation with Dwight, she feared it would look really bad for if they ever caught her with a gun in her possession, because they started talking to her and interviewing her and questioning her about Dwight. And she's like, when I started talking to you about the situation with Dwight, I was like, oh my God, wait, if you ever see me with a gun, you're going to think that I've done something bad to my husband. And and I, so I had to get rid of the gun and I had to do it discreetly because I didn't want you to think that I had anything to do with harming Dwight. Yeah. Or just come forward. Right. In their investigation, detectives did know about a prior suicide attempt by Sherry in 2008 when the fraud investigation had first started. So it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that her story could be true. Right. But with all of the other stuff going on, it seemed shady. It was just one more clue, right? That the detectives were like, well, how does this fucking fit into the picture? Because again, Dwight was still missing and Paxson and Lockerbie have what's turning into a real quagmire of the situation with all these clues. And they're like, I don't even know where, like how any of this connects together yet. Yeah. Yeah. So they decided to connect with Jennifer and her brother to create a plan to hopefully get to the bottom of what Sherry really knew about her husband's whereabouts because Paxson is like, my gut is telling me she's involved. So they asked them if one of them would be willing to wear a wire and talk with their mom to see what else she might know where their dad might be, or what might have happened to him. And as they're talking, they're like, look, this is totally voluntary. Neither of you has to do this. Jennifer was like, uh, I don't know. Her brother was like, I'll do it. <laughs> Jennifer's like, you don't have to do this. And he's like, at the end of the day, I'm committed to finding dad. Yeah. And if mom didn't do anything wrong, then she doesn't have anything to hide or worry about. So I'll okay. do this. And detectives were like, okay, Side note, here's all of the information that we've learned along our way with our investigation. And they told them about the surveillance, the trash bag, the 50 miles, the disassembled 9mm handgun, and they outfitted him with a recording device as well as a hidden camera. Oh, shit. Okay. So there's a great episode called Proof of Life with in a doc um it's like a discovery show called grave secrets and i highly recommend anyone listening to watch that episode because it's about this case and they interview jennifer carmichael oh cool and you can actually see the hidden camera footage from the hidden audio recording device that her brother wore in his conversation with his mom oh wow so it's very interesting And so he had that conversation and he started to press her on where her dad, where his dad is. And it was during this conversation that Sherry told him, you know what? Listen, set up an appointment with the tech, with the detectives in the morning. I'll go down to the headquarters and I'll talk to them and I'll, you know, 
I'll answer their questions, which sounds shady as, as fuck, but he was like, okay, that's what I'll do, mom. So the next day, Paxson met with Sherry and confronted her with Dwight's abandoned truck because up until that point, they hadn't told her about the truck that they had found the oh, truck. Oh, okay. And Sherry admitted, you know what? I'm the one that left it at the apartment complex. And I love hip hop. She claimed it was part of her and Dwight's plan. They had planned this because he had fled to hide from the feds. And again, she said he planned to go to Mexico. And the whole point was intentionally leaving the truck kind of ditched somewhere, unlocked, keys in plain sight, because really, I was just hoping it would get stolen. Okay. So Paxson continued questioning Sherry. And as the conversation goes on and on, and she's like, Paxson is like pulling at this and poking holes in that. Sherry surprisingly admitted to accidentally shooting Dwight. What? And Paxson's like, she's like, whoa. Whoa." (laughs) So Sherry explained that she had the gun, the one that the surveillance team had recovered her dumping because she was going to shoot herself. So she was sticking with that story. Hey, I was, I was, that's why I had it. Okay. Yep. Interesting. She told Paxson that shortly before Thanksgiving, 2009, she had walked into their master bedroom in the condo that they were renting where Dwight was laying on the bed. And when he saw she had the gun and was pointing it at her head, she said he, he sprang up and he grabbed at the gun and they started like wrestling and he was trying to wrestle the gun away from her. And it was during this wrestling that the gun went off and shot him directly in the head. And Whoa. she said to Paxton, he died instantly. He felt he just died. So, Paxson's like, okay, well, what did you do then? And she's like, well, what I did was I laid his body on a sheet and I dragged him to the garage where I loaded him into the backseat of my car and I drove his body out to the desert and I dumped it. Holy shit. So Paxson's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, let me, let's just, let's just go over this again and let's just kind of get into the detail here. And as she started going through the details of her confession, Sherry then gave three different accounts of her story. She like gave three more accounts that were different of her story. They, they all had the threat of Dwight was accidentally shot when we were wrestling with the gun. And then like the, the, that part stayed the same, but then it was like all these other little details uh. that, and so like Paxson's like, well, f- now that's confusing to determine like what's actually true and what's actually not. And it was yeah. also during these confessions that Sherry a- admitted that, Yes, I did replace the carpet in the master bedroom of the condo because blood. <laughs> I mean, he did get shot <laughs> in the head, so there's a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did kind of, you know, I did drag him out to the garage. And so there was some cleanup in the garage I had to do. So there's that. And, and so, like, there's all these different conflicting details of all these, of all these, you know, quote unquote confessions. And Paxson's like, God damn it. So now I'm now Paxson's like, now I got to figure out, like, I got to find the evidence. Yeah. Because we still don't have a body. And so with all these versions and these inconsistencies in her stories, like the the confession was shaky, right? Cops, detectives, geez, (laughs) detectives love confession. If it is like cut and dry, nail in the coffin, clear as a bell, this one wasn't. Your story doesn't change because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, let's not forget. So Sherry is like 5'4", and she's of small stature. She's not a big yeah. person. Dwight, as I mentioned, is a large man. He's at least 260, a good six foot. You got little tiny Sherry is going to like drag Dwight's body from the master bedroom to the garage, then load this body into a car and, and then like lift, have to li- lift yes, it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they're like, yeah, there's no oh, fucking way. I don't know. Mm, I don't know yeah. about this. So they really found it hard that she had single-handedly killed, moved, disposed of her husband's body. Much larger body. Yeah. So investigators asked Sherry, hey, show us in the desert where you dumped his body. And she's like, yeah, sure. I can do that. So they drove Sherry around and they checked several locations that she had indicated on, oh, wait, turn here, now turn here. Well, this bush looks familiar, whatever. But they never found Dwight's body. 
And mm-hmm. she eventually told the investigator, it's like, I keep getting confused. I thought maybe this was where I left his body, or maybe it was over there, or maybe it was that tree and not this tree. And then she suggested that perhaps maybe somebody had stolen his body. And they're like, okay. Uh-huh, okay. So despite all of this, and even though her confession details were like, oh, frustratingly unclear, they did have enough to hold her because at the end of the day, she did stick to, I accidentally shot Dwight or Dwight yeah, was accidentally yeah. shot in a struggle with a gun and I was involved in that struggle. And so she was arrested on August 14th, 2010 for first degree murder and abandoning a corpse and booked into jail. Okay. Okay. Meanwhile, detectives and Paxson and Lockerbie are like, well, we still don't have a body. So we have to continue this investigation. It's not over yet. And side note, did Sherry act alone? Right. Yeah. Well, they hit on a lucky break when they were able to track down a bed frame Sherry had sold online. Oh, shit. Okay. It turned out to be the frame of the bed that she had shared with Dwight. That was their bed. So again, they sold their 5,000 square foot luxury home and most all of their belongings inside. And this was one of the things that they sold. And when authorities processed this bed frame, they discovered large amounts of blood on the headboard and uh, left side post. So if you were facing the bed, it would have been the right side. If you were laying in the bed, it would have been the left side. Do you, do you get the orientation? Yeah, yeah. And when they found this blood, it, they were like, okay, so is this indicating that it's Dwight's blood? Quite possible. And if that's the case, then her account of a fight or a wrestling for the gun was not true. Because in order for this blood splatter to occur the way it did on the bed frame, Dwight had to have been laying down. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Also, ew, for whoever bought the headboard. Right. I'm Can sorry. you imagine That's if you were the, you were like, oh, my God, this is exactly what we've been looking for. And it's such a great price. And you're telling me what now? <laughs> yeah. Ding dong. We're the police. Uh, that was probably part of a murder. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's blood all over this fucking thing. Yeah. Like, that oh. bed frame that you've been <laughs> consummating your beautiful marriage in. Yeah. I think it has DNA evidence. We're going to need it back. They also discovered that Sherry had recently purchased a reciprocating saw the year before in December 2009. So stay with me because remember, Dwight was last seen by his family right before Thanksgiving in November of 2009. Mm -hmm. Time marches on, months go by, months go by. In July of 2010, Jennifer finally reports her dad missing. The case gets assigned to Paxton and Lockerbie. They start investigating. And all of that we just talked about was what they're investigating. And in August, mid-August, they arrested Sherry. Okay? Okay. Meanwhile, parallel to all of this and not connected in any way because they didn't know to connect it, back in December of 2009. So like a month after he was Yep. Last seen. seen okay. Horrific discoveries had been made. Three different horrific discoveries by different people had been made. On December 20th of 2009, someone discovered what ended up being a human arm off Highway US 60 south of Florence Junction in Pinal County. The arm was sent to the Pinal County Medical Examiner's Office for examination. And they're like, it's a, what the fuck? On December 23rd, three days later, someone else discovered another human arm. Ooh, maybe fucking Christmas. Just off Interstate 10 in La Paz County. These remains were taken to the Pima Medical Examiner's Office in Tucson, and through interactions and networking and, like, medical examiner offices, knowing other medical examiner offices, the Pima Medical Examiner Office learned of the remains that were taken to the Pinal County Medical Examiner's Office, and they got on the phone, and they were like, oh, you have an arm? Uh, We have an arm. Oh, you have the right arm? We have the left arm. Yeah. Let's make them fucking high five. (laughs) (laughs) The chances of finding an arm and another arm that aren't from the same body are probably pretty slim. And so they're thinking these might be arms from the same person. Right. Especially just like days apart. Exactly. Then on December 26th, so three days after the second arm was found, And six days after the first arm was found, a motorist, this poor guy, he pulled over near the Sugarloaf exit on the Beeline Highway because he had to pee real, real bad. And so he just pulled over and he's like, I got to pee. And so 
And that's when he discovered the partial human remains that turned out to be a man's torso, described as that of a white male of robust build. Oh, my God. And these remains were sent to the Maricopa County Medical Examiner's Office. And then all three were like, okay, we got something here. These might be from the same body, but we have no way of identifying who this person is. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't until (sighs) after Jennifer in July of 2010 had reported her father missing that Scottsdale police connected the remains to Dwight's disappearance. Okay. So what they did was they used DNA from Dwight's parents. They got swabs from both his father and his mother to create the profile for Dwight. And they compared that profile to all the body parts that were found the previous December. And the testing came back confirming that the, the arms and the torso were that of Dwight. Can you imagine that? That like, can we get your DNA to confirm if these parts are your son? your son? Oh, man. They were also able to confirm that the blood that was found on the bed frame was also Dwight's blood. So now oh. they have irrefutable proof that this dismembered person is Dwight and that the blood's pattern definitely indicates that the story that Sherry told was not true. Right. And it explains how she was able to move him if he was in pieces. Yep. Mm. So with all these pieces in place, pardon the pun, (laughs) detectives Paxson and Lockerbie believed that Sherry killed Dwight the night before he was planning to leave. They believed Sherry entered the bedroom that evening where Dwight was sleeping and intentionally shot and killed him in cold blood. And then she used Dwight's mobile phone and email account posing as him to communicate with their fucking children. Mm. And she lied to them and led them to believe that their father had left for Mexico. For months. Damn. So investigators shared with Sherry's three children what she did to their father, including how she dismembered and disposed of his body and the extraordinarily extensive cover-up that she performed. Yeah. You've got dumping the gun. You've got the truck. You've got the emails and the voice messages and the text or listening to the voice messages and the text messages. She went to great lengths for this. Yeah. And at at one point that she was like living with Jennifer, lying to her every yep. second, knowing ugh, that she and killed him. And feigning concern about the health and welfare of her husband yeah in 2013 sherry initially pleaded not guilty but when she realized that she would likely face the death penalty she changed her plea to guilty in exchange for a life sentence in may 2013 more than three years after dwight's death sherry was convicted of murder and was sentenced to sentenced to life in prison plus 31 years oh shit Pretty much guaranteeing that she would never, ever get out. Yeah, yeah. She served her time in Perryville Prison in Goodyear, Arizona. And it was reported that Sherry died at the age of 64 in prison on January 1st, 2021. Oh, wow. And I don't know what she died of. I don't know how she died. I don't know any of those details. It's not reported. It's almost like there's an intentional forgottenness about Sherry. It's very, Hmm. she's just forgotten kind of thing. Yeah. That would have been like in the heart of COVID too. I wonder Mm -hmm. if that's maybe, I don't know. She was young, 64. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the extraordinarily tragic story of Dwight Tobite. And as I said, he was known as a wonderful and loving human being, a wonderful and loving father to his three children. He was completely devoted to his family. He was very proud of his wife, Sherry. Like he was just a lovely human being. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, did it like ever say anything about the FBI investigation? Mm -hmm. Like what was whatever came of that? No, there was it didn't. So I I imagine that with his disappearance and then the subsequent police investigation and then finding out that when they finally connected Dwight's disappearance with the body parts that were found in December of 2009, the FBI was like, well, shit, I guess. We're not going to, you know, Sherry was arrested and 
detained and charged with that. And so I guess yeah. they didn't really have anywhere to go with that. But in some sources, and, and you know, I didn't share this in the in the actual storyline, but in some sources, they say that Sherry was actually the reason behind the FBI investigation, that it wasn't Dwight that was doing nefarious activity. It was Sherry. Oh, wow. And that was one of the reasons why Dwight, like the marriage had fractured because Dwight's like, look, look what you've done. Look what you've gotten us into. And I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Wow. Interesting. Okay. And, you know, some think that maybe Sherry was like, you're not going to leave me. You're not going to leave me to like face what I've done. Right. So, and that's why she maybe killed him. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to give some airtime to Dwight because it's, it's people like him that we need more of in this world. And it's a damn shame when something yeah. really tragic and horrible happens exactly. to good people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he wasn't a fucking saint, but he Nobody definitely is. didn't deserve to be murdered Yeah, by his wife. And that's, it's like, do you truly know somebody? Do you truly know people? Yeah, what that's they could fucking be capable scary. Of? Yeah. Very scary. I, uh, I agree. So, oh, man. Well, thank you for listening. And as always, please come back for the next episode. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Tell your friends. Yeah. Tell, I was going to say, if you want everybody, tell anybody everyone. that's friendly. Hey, listen, if you take public transport to and from work, you're sitting next to somebody, let them know. Just be like, hey, do you like murder? Yeah. Word on the street is crime will tell. Yeah. yeah. Tell your friends. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, eventually TikTok. We haven't even started on that, but we know we need to. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. I don't know. We're still working on bonus content and things that we could do. Maybe it's not even bonus content, but just things that we could do for, you know, supporting the show and things like that. So we're getting yeah, and there. If you, have any, if you have any ideas about that, send us an email. If you have any show ideas, case ideas, if there's something that you think you would like to have as bonus content. Yeah. Send us an email to crimewilltellpod at gmail.com. Well, I like that idea of like, you know, do you want a magnet? Do you want a shirt? Do you like what? Do you like what mugs? What you like? Tumblers. Yeah. Like what? It, I don't know. Keychain. So let us know what we could do to like just amplify this. Yeah. What can we do? What can we do? And aside from really taking care of and, you know, talking about victims and making sure that their names and memories aren't forgotten, the other thing is you. We just want to care for you. Yeah. So. And with that, bye, Jamie. Goodbye, Carrie. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to butterfly kiss you later. <laughs> Is that what a butterfly kiss sounds like? <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's how, that's how I do it. Flutter, flutter, flutter. <laughs> yeah, so it's like flutter, 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 flutter. It's a very loud butterfly. Boom diggity. Are you looking at dicks? You can't hold me down. Mm -mm. You can fucking try. You can try, but it's not going to work. Fuck those guys. Got it. I understand you can't start the old-fashioned way, you bitch. And I know it's fucking humid. Stop! Oh, yeah. I love to creep you the fuck out. It's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs>